When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Coming up on Star Talk, we're going to look at regenerative farming, where our food comes from, and what its impact will be on climate as well as our health and more on Star Talk. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Special Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. And with special edition, we explore the human condition as it is bolstered or interfered with by emergent technology and who and what we are as a species and our relationship to machines. Man, you made this show sound important. (laughs) Man. That was... I didn't, even, I didn't even know we were doing all of that. <laughs> that sucked nice. <laughs> Stand-up comedian, actor, still acting like a comedian. Still acting like a comedian. <laughs> yeah, all right. And Gary, yes. ex-pro footballer and broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, we, we, okay, we've got an interesting show today. We do. Gary, you put, you put together a show I didn't even know was possible in our repertoire. Tell us about it. We found someone who we are going to orbit around who has made this possible. Because about 25 years ago, a farmer, yes, a farmer, decided that he no longer wanted to be part of industrialized farming. So he threw away the pesticides, threw away the hormones, and started to listen to Mother Nature. He is a soil scientist, a hydrologist, a biologist, a chemist, a nutritionist, a weather expert, and a community leader something very, very important. He now operates one of the largest pasture-raised livestock operations in the USA and was the first outfit to sell a pound of grass-fed beef to Whole Foods. He He calls himself radically traditional while his daughters call him an iconic icon. We're just going to be calling him Will Harris. Wait, his daughters call him an iconic icon? Organic. Organic icon. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's doubling down on the icon status, but no, organic. Yeah, yeah. We have In the Flesh from Georgia Mm -hmm. coming in, one of our old-time farmers, Will Harris. Will, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. It's an honor. Oh, my gosh. You are a fourth-generation farmer. Will, I can honestly say I can probably count on one hand how many farmers I've ever met in my life. And you've been a farmer for four generations. And, and you're, how old is your farm that, you work, that you're working on? My great-grandfather came to this farm in 1866. And we've been farming oh, it ever since. Oh, okay. Right. That sounds... And, uh, and the name of your farm, White Oak Pastures. We might have seen that on some food. You know, I, I shop at Whole Foods. You know, I... I you know, I, I, Look I, at you, maybe, Mr. Fancy. Maybe I gave you some of my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> You, that was then, but they've thrown me out now. We, we got to find out about that. We're going to get into that, find out what happened there. Uh, you're the author of A Bold Return to Giving a Damn. That's, that's a great title. That's awesome. And that just came out in the fall of 2023. Yeah. That explores the link 
between and among food, health, and climate change. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let me let me start off by asking you, Will, uh, why would you move away from industrial farming? I presume industrial farming made everybody make much more money faster. And it allows us to grow more food on less land with fewer people than ever before. So why would you ever walk away from that? Well, the short answer is unintended consequences. Everything that you said is true. Um, more food, less land, uh, probably more profit. Uh, but there are unintended consequences, and the unintended consequences have fallen on the backs of the animals, the land, the environment, and the rural economy. Mm. Mm. So these unintended consequences, normally when people say that, that's a bad thing. I mean, because unintended consequences just means something happened that you didn't foresee. That can be something good. So what, what is the bad I meant it in the former, not the latter. As as a, uh-huh. as a bad thing. Okay. Okay. The, the bad things uh, would be the the impact on the environment. You know, to 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 operate a modern uh, farm, there are a lot of uh, products used. The end of the name is side, C I D E, and that's oh. Latin for kill. Yeah. Like homicide, mm. suicide. That's what you mean. Yeah, homicide, suicide. insecticide, yeah. pesticide. Herbicide. My father uh, took over the farm in 1946 and turned it into a modern industrial linear farming operation. Uh, I followed him and never wanted to do anything except what he did. I went to the University of Georgia when I came of age. I graduated in 1976 with a degree in animal science and learned a lot about how to kill pests. And I came home and, and implemented those uh, teachings successfully, financially. So these would be insects, but also, I guess, weeds, too? These are both of those you don't want in, on your farm. Anything you don't want. That could be uh, pathogens. It could be insects. It could be weeds. It could be so, so many things. Whatever you don't want, there's a product out there to... So you want a don't want to side. That's what you... <laughs> <laughs> all-purpose thing for everything you don't want. That's what you yeah. want. You want to cite it. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that's not the way it works. But yes, you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, Neil, if Dow Chemical comes out with don't want to cite, I'll know that they're listening to this show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, Will, how long did it take once you made the changes? Once you decided, you know what, that's it. Taking the chemicals out, I'm going to let this Mother Nature project take how long does it take for a reset for you to now make something positive happen out of this action? When you make the decision to cease to use all those technologies, you take a production hit immediately. Mm-hmm. And it takes a period of time to overcome it. I would say five years, but I don't, wow. know. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly right. It's gradual. Mm-hmm. The things that you can do to accelerate it. Uh, and to be, to, be, to be honest, you never get back up to the level of maximum production you had when you were using all the technologies. Mm-hmm. You don't create the unintended consequences. You don't kill the uh, flora and fauna in the Gulf of Mexico and some other favorable things that you don't do. But no one has ever claimed, to my knowledge, that you maximize production on the land by giving up the technologies. You don't. You, uh, but what you do is you restart the cycles of nature. The, the, the cycles of nature yield an abundance. The cycles of nature would be, for instance, the energy cycle, the water cycle, the mineral cycle, on and on. When those cycles are operating optimally, as they do in nature, they produce an abundance. All that oil and coal and gas in the ground is the abundance of nature when it was operating optimally. And we've been using that up since. So what we did is uh, cease to use the sides that that end lives and and work to uh, generate the abundance that comes from all the cycles operating as optimally as we can make. But that makes you the, the weird farmer among farmers, right? What, what, why, why even go there? 
What, what, what motivated you? Did you watch some documentary one night and said, oh my gosh, I've been yeah. wrong? Because it, yeah, like, uh, it sounds like you were working against your own interest by making this decision. Right, exactly. And, and, and did you have like a come to Jesus moment on this one? And you say, I got to change. You know, the, the, the sad truth is I probably came to see the damage I was creating because I was a bit of an abuser. You know, I was a very heavy-handed farmer. And if the label instruction said to use a pint, I might use a quart. If it said to use two cc's, I might use three cc's. So when you mm. uh, overuse the tools, you see the damage the tools cause. And when I started moving away from it, I was not moving necessarily to this uh, model that we embrace today. I was just moving away from that one. Interesting. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that it did. When, when okay. you say about the health of soil and things like that, well, were you, had you got to the point where you were kind of getting, is it des desertification? of the soil, where it just, just is just dirt and barren? Well, that, that, that's a good question. And I think that most of the land that's industrially farmed today is desertifying or has been desertified. Mm. And the example I'll give you is uh, organic matter, the, the carbon uh, percentage of, of the soil. My land had gotten down to one-half of 1% 1 organic matter. Uh, after 20 years of farming it uh, in accordance with nature, it's 5% organic matter. That's 10x. And let me tell you what that means. 1% of organic matter will absorb, in the soil will absorb a one-inch rain event. That's 27,000 gallons of water per acre. So my land at 5% will absorb a five-inch rain event, and we get them in Georgia. Yeah. When it was a half a percent organic matter, it was only going to absorb a half an inch of rain. I don't care how much it felt. And organic matter is not the only thing that's important. The microbial uh, component, a lot of things are important, but that's just the easiest one to state the case for. What about animal welfare? Because you raise cattle. <laughs> you know, you, you've got a, food, a field to fork process that we'll get into, I'm sure. Um, so how, how long did it take for you to see the benefits in the animals themselves? That was much easier. Uh -huh. So animal welfare, as an industrial cattleman, had come to mean you keep them well-fed, you keep them well-watered, you keep them on a comfortable temperature range, you don't intentionally inflict pain or suffering, and that's good animal welfare. That is mm. the accepted standard. And I did that, and I thought, I, was a, I thought I was really good at that. I thought my animal welfare was above approach. I came to realize that in addition to those things, good animal welfare also means you give the animal the opportunity to express instinctive behavior. Cattle were meant to roam and graze. Hogs were meant to root and wallow. Chickens were meant to scratch and peck. And the industrial model, the way we, we do it today industrially, does not allow those instinctive behaviors. So you're going against nature. Yes, sir. You're going against nature. And, you know, you could, you could go against nature raising your children. You could lock them in a closet. I do it all the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, nobody, and nobody will abduct them. They won't fall off right. the bike. They won't get tackled uh, on the end run. It, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a good, safe place to raise them. But it's probably not. It's probably not the best rearing your children can have. And that's what industrial animal production is, is monocultural interesting. confinement production. So let me ask you a question. This is uh, slightly off of what we're, where we are right now, but since you brought it up about animal welfare and grazing, um, I was on a shoot in Dallas, not Dallas, it was outside of Dallas, but it was a cattle farm. And um, the cattle were grazing. They had two parts of this farm. And the gentleman who was my liaison, I was like, oh, look at that. So that's, that's your grass-fed. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I like that. I like grass-fed. Um, and he went, you know, I'm not a grass-fed person, 
because I feel as though it doesn't give you the same type of fat content that a corn-fed cow would have. And so you end up with a different taste of the beef. I'm, I'm a corn-fed person. It, 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 does it really come down to that? Does it make that much of a difference that you're going to get a different product at the very end? Uh, if something, and, and the, way, the way he put it, they're, they're worlds apart. Now, I wouldn't know. but Well, that gentleman told you was absolutely true and accurate. It's exactly the way it is. But I'll put a little different slant on it for you. Okay. A grain-fed animal that's butchered typically will be about, well, probably less than two years of age. It'll probably weigh thirteen or 1,400 pounds. It'd probably have at least a half an inch of back fat. And it would be, it would be an unnaturally obese creature that would never survive in nature. And if it were left in that environment, that made it so obese, it would not live a normal lifespan. Wow. In fact, it probably wouldn't live, I'm just going to guess, a half a natural lifespan. Now, wow. is the beef from that cow tender and juicy? Yes. Is, it, is the weight put on at a uh, very competitive cost? Yes. But I'm of the opinion that eating a creature that is unnaturally obese and dying from the uh, conditions of sedentary lifestyle and obesity probably ain't good for you. You know, when you put it that way, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, basically, you're you're eating the cow that sits on the couch, watches TV, and eats potato chips. That's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> With a beer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my, cattle are, my cattle are athletes. They simply right. are athletes. And the life, the life expectancy of a cow, I think he's 24 years of age. I think that's what I, I saw is the normal life expectancy. We don't, we don't let them live that long. But I think that's what it is. And I have every reason to believe that my animals would live to be 20, 24 years old if I just left them out there where they are right now. But I'm sure they wouldn't live to be 24 years old in that environment, that feedlot environment that we just discussed. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age 
or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. Hi, I'm Ernie Carducci from Columbus, Ohio. I'm here with my son, Ernie, because we listen to Star Talk every night and support Star Talk on Patreon. This, this is, is Star Talk, Talk with, with Neil, Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. You mentioned the term earlier, um, linear, linear farming, the industrialized farming. And we've discussed soil well-being, water, content, quality, animal welfare. But you're based in one of the poorest rural counties in the USA. What impact was linear industrialized farming having on the people, not just the soil and the ecosystems? Well, moving to the linear model is what has impoverished rural America. We move, uh, you know, Rural America has continued to be where we produce the raw material that most food is made from today. We do not add the value here anymore. We reproduce the cattle or pigs or beets or cotton or corn or whatever, and it has moved in a very linear manner to a, a, another production center, to another, to another, where the value is added. And that has impoverished rural America. Because all the value is not earned where the farm is. Mm -hmm. Correct. Almost, in fact, a very, okay. a very small percentage. I think that the last number I saw is that something like 15 cents of the food dollar goes to the farmer. So the rest of it goes to someone else. Now, I'm not saying those people are getting money without deserving it. No, of course not. They add, they add value, but it's impoverishing rural America. So why, why then, in, in your opinion, is the food that is produced by big agriculture, big food, if, it, if you want to call it and tag it that, why is, why is the food that we're consuming so messed up if there's a way to make it happen differently? Why doesn't everyone do what Will does? Yeah, more or less. That's what you're asking. It's, it's a great question, and it's because the consumer has wanted cheaper and cheaper food aggressively demanded cheaper and cheaper food, at least since World War II. And we provided it. We yeah. being the, the farmer and being all the way up the chain, we provided 
cheap food. In fact, I would say we, we provided obscenely cheap food that, was, that has become just wastefully abundant. Right, oh. right. And, and how much is that, how much is, that a, is related to the explosion of retail eating in this country. So, you know, your McDonald's, your Burger Kings, your this and that, the, all these restaurants. I mean, when you look at it, the mainstay of all these restaurants is beef. So, I mean, how much does that have to do with it? Well, I think that the, the retail food business that you referenced was one more step of taking cost out of production, of taking cost out of food uh, pr provision. The fact is, McDonald's can buy beef and cook it and serve it cheaper than you, you can buy beef and cook it in your apartment or house. It's just as simple as that. That tips the scales, and there's no going back from that. And there may be no going back. Uh, uh, you know, I, I hope we can, we can to some extent go back. You know, the, uh, I think that there is a segment of our uh, population that has figured out that cheap food really isn't that cheap. Right. I won't talk too much about the impact on health. I mean, I believe there is one, but I'm a farmer, not a doctor, not a dietitian, and I don't want to get in that bait. Mm. But when it comes to the impact on the land, I know that industrially produced food is really, really bad. When it comes to the impact on the animals, I know that industrially produced food is really, really bad. When it comes to the impact on local rural economies, I know that that industrial food is really, really bad. And I don't know of any reason to do it other than it's cheap. It is really, really cheap. Is it sustainable as a model to, to continue industrialized farming and just keep making cheap food and piling it high and whether you eat it or, or it goes to waste, is it a sustainable model? I'm convinced that it's not. You know, that is a source of great debate among the people like me as a, versus big food, big tech, big ag. But I don't believe that it is. Hmm. So, but you don't believe that mega farming is sustainable? I do not. I do not believe that. Right. Uh, I believe that we are exhausting irreplaceable resources and that it will end poorly. Yeah, but, but suppose, I mean, I'm a fan of science and technology and every time something turns wrong on it, some innovative, clever person comes up with a solution to it. So if you went down the list of everything that was wrong with Big Pharma and somehow you magically could correct it, then Big Pharma might be okay, right? If there were magic, I don't think <laughs> Okay. All right, you, you, you've tagged your, your way of farming as field to fork. Right, um, and I think we can all visualize exactly how that works. But what does that entail? Because it's there's all these. This has to all now be connected, as opposed to these individual silos that industrial farming has, where someone takes hold of this, and someone takes hold of that, and someone takes hold of the other. So, how does that entail field to fork for you? And that's where it becomes most difficult when we. My, my dad's generation and later mine turned food production into something very linear. They, they set it up for scale, to have huge plants and factories producing food, taking raw materials in at a very minimum uh, quality standard and, and uh, further processing it so it became a marketable product. Uh, that simply does not work well uh, in this model that we have, it is it is not uh, linear. Therefore, it doesn't uh, blow up as well. It's uh, escalating in terms of numbers, but it does replicate in terms of numbers. We believe that there should be uh, food production in every county, every agricultural county in the country. And, and a, a benefit we hadn't talked about of that is during the pandemic, when the food was gone off the food shelves and, and the big meat plants. Not only that, the, the underwear and the water. I mean, the, the, mm. the toilet uh, paper. Uh, the toilet paper Bicycles. and the water went off the shelves. 
just as it fast. bicycles. Yeah. You couldn't yeah. get a bicycle. If, if you're rating those, you know, the food is is pretty close to the top with the with the toilet paper. I mean, it's pretty, pretty <laughs> close. Yeah, very closely related. But during that time, uh, meat plants ceased to operate, and of course, I was I, I lived in fear that mine would too. We never missed a day. We never mm. missed a day operating our uh, red meat plant and our poultry plant here on this farm. That's because our model is not nearly as scalable, but is far more replicatable and durable. Mm. Okay, you've, you've been in the farming business for quite some time. We've established that. Uh, you're historic, traditional. All right, climate change. Does it affect you and how you farm? Um, or is it, you know what, they're cattle, they'll eat grass, I'll let them, they can wander around, be happy. Or are you actually changing? It, it works both ways. Yeah. Does he affect climate change? And Does climate, yeah. climate change affect you, man? Both. I think, that, uh, I think that what we do impacts climate change. I think that when I was farming industrially and buying thousands of tons of chemical nitrogen per year and releasing it and oxidizing God knows how much carbon in the soil, you know, I was contributing to climate change. I know that what I'm doing now is a benefit to mitigate against climate change. I mentioned the fact that the organic matter in my soil. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I think it works both ways. Yeah. Not to mention, um, in addition to climate change, from an environmental standpoint, you know, big agro farming, just the runoff alone because of the chemicals that are used is extremely deleterious to surrounding communities, leads to health problems, uh, damages uh, waterways, the contaminates groundwater as, in some As Carl instances. Sagan said, air molecules and water molecules don't carry passports. That's they right. Pass right they, they, across they, borders. They, they right. don't. That's right. <laughs> My farm, where I'm sitting right now, is about 80 miles north of the Gulf of Mexico. And there is a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico that's about the same size as Massachusetts. And when I was mm. a kid, mm. when I was a kid, the oysterman literally brought oysters to Lake Lich Orchard, 10 miles that way, once a week. We had fresh oysters. Mm. They banned uh, oystering in the Gulf of Mexico now, except for some uh, cultured stuff they do. So you know, the, the, the impact on the the impact that industrial agriculture has had on the environment is not arguable. It's not right. arguable. You know, there is a study on my website, whiteoakpastures.com, called an LCA, Life Cycle Assessment. It was an 80-something thousand dollar study that a customer paid to have done on my farm by a third-party environmental engineering firm from... Chicago, I think. And they came here to see what we were doing. And the expectation was that we were contributing to uh, carbon depletion in the soil and all those other things. But what they found is that our cattle operation actually sequesters three and a half pounds, listen to me, three and a half pounds of carbon every pound of beef we produce. And that's not magic. No, it's not magic. It's nature. It's nature. And well, you know, I, I could argue that nature's a little bit magic, but it's nature. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more... FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your 
business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. We talk about nature and uh, I said earlier on in the show that you started to listen to Mother Nature. And if I remember rightly, you say that Mother Nature will provide everything you need to be successful in farming. Now, that's easy to say, but how do you get to a conclusion like that? Well, it's nature. There's a lot of poisonous stuff that'll kill you outright in nature, right? So nature doesn't always equal good, and non-nature doesn't always equal bad. So do you tread that line? Uh, I'm not sure that nature doesn't always equal good. It doesn't always okay. equal life. Okay. Uh, you know, it, there, yes, there's stuff out there that will kill you. There's stuff out there that will make you strong. You should eat what makes you strong. You should not eat what will kill you. <laughs> and one way or the other, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully somebody will figure it out for you. Yeah. That's yes, the, the, the tester, yeah. When, yeah. when the guy beside you eats that green thing and falls right. over, you don't need to eat that green thing. There you go. So, Will, tell me about this book you just released, A Bold Return to Giving a Damn. And uh, it's, the, the future matters to us all in so many ways. And everyone thinks they have the answer. And people are fighting over who has the best answer or who's moving fast enough or not fast at all. Where, where does your book land in this? Or where, where, do, where are you taking the reader in your attempt to show the world through the lens that you have so hard-earned in your life? So the book is about my 25 years of returning this farm from a very industrial, monocultural cattle production operation to a very, what I believe is a very uh, perpetual sort of farming operation that feeds us and does so in an amount of that is uh, humane to the animals and improves, not, not, not degrades the landscape. So at agriculture 2.0 is what you're talking about here. There's a new, a new mindset. Or maybe, maybe 3.0, because 1.0 was farmers before there was technology. Then there was technology, and now you're kind of going back, back, back to roots here. I think it's, I think it's 3.0. Yeah, fact, okay. You know, we, uh, you know, my family has been on this farm for 160 or whatever years, and we farmed the way that, uh, in a model that's similar to what I farm today. But we have forgotten. Let me say this. I am not anti-technology. You know, we've got, uh, I'm on my fourth drone. <laughs> Okay. Would you lose them? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Will, are you telling me that you're bombing other farmers? No, no. Stop. Stop. A drone is just an, a flying thing that has cameras and other stuff. It doesn't have to be dangerous. You know, we've got a lot of technology here, and I embrace it, and I use it, and I'm glad we've got it. So you're not anti-science and technology. You just got questions over the, the application. I'm, I'm trying to use it in a model that that does not detract from the the, the natural flow of things. Because hmm. if if you if nature has a natural flow, and then you try to go against it, what are the consequences? They're bad. <laughs> I mean, you got to be more specific. But we're doing it right now. Well, no, I, well, I no, okay. 
almost everything we call civilization has been a pushback against nature, right? We build a city on the water's edge. And then, yeah, storm comes in every now and then. There's a flood. Nature's fighting back. But no, we won that fight. We build a dam to create electricity and fresh water. That's a fight we win against. We've fought a lot of battles against nature and won in the service of civilization. But there's always the consequences of that of that battle that you're talking about. In that dam, you often end up killing the wildlife that uses that waterway, or you have to make some type of concession. For instance, I'm thinking salmon particularly. You have to make a concession for that particular water wildlife. You know, when it comes to storms, if you don't have marshland surrounding that city, that city will flood and the storms will destroy the city. So the fight has to have concessions that allow you well, it to has to be intelligent, intelligently done. Yeah. Intelligent, right. These are unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences can be uh, devastating. And I don't know, uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, I'm not the guy that's smart enough to know which ones of these ideas are good ideas and which ones are bad ideas. But I do know, because firsthand I witnessed it on this farm, of the degradation that came from using these technologies to kill something. Again, we get back to the other side. When I was an industrial cowboy, monocultural industrial cowboy, every single day I went to my pasture and looked aggressively for something to kill. A pathogen, a weed species, an insect. So let me ask you this, because this is fascinating. To, I, I can't believe we didn't get to this earlier. What did you replace that with? Okay, if you're using something with a side on it, okay, just to stop using it, you still can have invasive, whether it's a pathogen, whether it's a pest itself, or, you know, whether it just is another species of plant that you don't want coming in to your crops. What did you replace that with? You're exactly right. There will be another pest that results from the use of that side. There's a side for it, too. Uh-huh. And it's the endless, constant use of killing something. My goal when I was an industrial monocultural cattleman every day was to kill what displeased me. Now, my goal is to make these things live because every single species out there has a role in that natural environment. How do you get rid of the weeds then? How do you get rid of the parasites? that are eating the food you're trying to grow and sell. How do you do that without the magic of modern met, modern chemicals? chemicals. It's the same way, the same way that it happened for thousands of years. You know, I ceased to have the monoculture of cattle because the weeds were eating me up, and I got sheep and goats and hogs and poultry, and they, they, they handled it. Now, my pastures are not pristine. When I was farming industrially, and monoculturally with cattle. It was a, my pastures were a monoculture of Tifton 85 Bermuda grass. That that was bred by the University of Georgia, and it will uh, assimilate incredible amounts of chemical nitrogen and turn it into forage for cattle. It's incredible. But the use of that level of nitrate fertilizer uh, literally destroyed the organic model and oxidized as were oxidized the organic model in my soil. And I had the other other species would appear and I would spray it gray zone P and B herbicide. And the army worms would eat it up, so I would spray that. The list just goes on and on and on. No, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so if you're you're successful in the context of your mission statement, uh, have, has this caught on to other mm. farming uh, uh, communities, other counties, other... Uh, I mean, ideally, that's, that's what you'd want. It, right? it is what I wanted. And, uh, and sadly, it has not caught on. I don't mean I'm the only one doing it. I don't mean that. But it has not caught on because, of, primarily because of competition from big multinational corporations. Right. Yeah, but consumers are not without power here. Yeah. So if people wanted to get you know, they read your book and they say, we are all in on this. What do we do as consumers? Just be very picky about what we buy as an endpoint 
in the production cycle? You're right. The consumer will determine how this all all goes down, how this proceeds forward. And if they decide to find farmers like me and support them, there will be more farmers like me for them to support, and it can grow. Right. Mm. Because that's right. how that goes. So we, yeah. as a consumer, we need that to adopt sense. a local farmer. Is this what we're thinking? In the sense of not not to give them a home, but to support them, <laughs> for, you know, by buying their produce. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And, right. and I, got, I, got, I got to say that uh, because we, when the past has started very early, I'm selling as much product as I want to sell. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not trying to grow this business. But... I'm selling it in 48 states. And that was not my plan. You know, I I, I can't sell as much product as I need to sell in Bluffton, Georgia, with a population of 120 people. But the multinational food companies have seen the uh, uh, acceptance of some of this messaging that people like me are are putting out. Mm. And so they greenwash their product. And greenwashed uh, product is the nemesis of this kind of farming. How, how are they greenwashing? Well, I mentioned earlier, you can bring grass-fed beef in from 30 countries and label it as a product of the USA, legally. The animal is grown, slaughtered, processed, packaged in Uruguay, New Zealand, Australia, 20-something other countries. But then it's it legally, uh, and that, that, that got changed in 2000, 2015. Uh, the, it, you couldn't do that, but you can label it product of the USA because value was added in this country. And it was a game. Oh, that's how that works. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. It was a game changer, and it was wrong, and it was done because multinational corporations have so much power. Damn. Wow. So, I mean, the way around that direct to consumer sales is—is is, is that a—is that a—is that something that needs to really be and and education? I yeah. think what 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 education is a big thing. Where it is catching on, and um, we've all seen this, especially here in the New York area, is farm to table restaurants mm. where the restaurant owners are making the decision to source products from local farms so that they can have a better product on their restaurant yeah, farm, table. Farm to table. Farm to farm table. To table. Yeah. So, you mm-hmm. know, it is catching on in some respects. If the needle is moved on the way we produce food in this country, it's going to have to be done by the consumer. It's, it's, right. not, going, it's not going to happen through land-grant universities or through politicians or through uh, big gag, big food. I, I can give you a long list of people or entities that will not include if it happens, it's going to be because consumers drive it, and and sadly, it's got to be the it's got to be the consumers that can afford it. Now, let me say this: be clear on this. My food is not as cheap as commodity food. It's not. We don't expect it to be. Of course. We, all right. those costs that are thrown out of the commodity model absorbed in my model. I can't grow. Uh, food the way I grow it and sell it in the commodity market. It's got to ha- go to a consumer that can afford it and will choose to afford it. And I still I worry about the people that can't afford it. I worry about that, mm. but I can't mm-hmm. I can't solve mm-hmm. that problem at the same time. Right. You you went to right. university, right. studied animal science. Are universities or colleges teaching this your kind of? farming model, or is it, you know what, industrial, uh, nothing else? That's a good question. That's a, that's a great question. So the answer, for the most part, is it's strongly you know, influenced by the big food companies, big tech companies that, that donate money to them very strongly. But there are a few. Uh, Michigan State University uh, has a uh, is a savory hub. That's kind of a long story we didn't get into, but there's a, a, a holistic management land management system, uh, savory. And I like savory foods. Guy's name, Alan Savory. That's what I was wondering. And all I know is that you don't want to be an unsavory hub. That's a different <laughs> 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 point. Uh, Alan Savory yeah. is a, a guy from South Africa that 
that uh, we uh, I, I took my holistic training under him in, in South Africa. All right. Before you go, Will, uh, uh, is this quote attributed to you? Mother Nature knows everything, forgets nothing, and bats last. It, it absolutely is. And it's the truest damn thing hmm. I ever said. Wow. That's a great, great quote. That's a wonderful Mother quote. Mother Nature knows everything, forgets nothing, and bats last. That's, yeah. that's, that's badass right that's there. Some, <laughs> that's some serious wisdom going on. <laughs> if you can look at the, the world that you operate in in that way, this is a connection. It's a serious connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With mission statement and wisdom mm, rolled into yeah. one. Yeah. So, guys, we got to call it quits there. But oh my gosh, I, I'm yeah. delighted to learn uh, from you, Will. That, yeah, Will. That you, thank you for you, providing us with authentic food. We mm, appreciate right, right. it. And that you exist in this world. Yeah. Uh, this is an important cog in a wheel that is being built and slowly being turned. And maybe one day we'll look back on this show and say, oh, that was, he was a pioneer. Now everybody does it. You know, that's kind of what we, what maybe is. That would uh, be nice. The arc, yeah. uh, the arc of progress. I'm very grateful to you all for having me on as your guest. Thank you very much. You all are right. welcome. All right. Well, you can check out Will's book, A Bold Return to Giving a Damn from an Authentic Farmer. So, Gary, Chuck, thanks for being my co-host. Once pleasure, Neil. It's a pleasure. All right. This has been Star Talk Special Edition. Uh, all about the future of farming and how to make it sustainable in this world, in this universe. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.